Yep. Well, uh, yeah, for coming on, uh, yeah, everyone, this is Oregon Libertarian Podcast. I'm Will Hobson. Uh, today we're going to uh, have Gregor on. Uh, I believe Peter is going to be on in just a little bit, but Gregor is going to ask us some questions about the platform for the Mises Caucus. So guess we could get started and Peter can uh, chime in once he uh, arrives. Yeah, he wasn't a high, he was in the he was in Discord and wasn't hundred percent sure he was gonna come play or not. But um anyway, my name's Gregor. Uh I'm a libertarian in the for the last three or four or five years here in Oregon. And uh I little knew little about the Mises caucus, so I wanted to chat with somebody about it. That's why I asked to come on. And you know, it seems odd to me that we'd name a caucus after a bunch of small rodents. So Maybe why is it called the Mises Caucus? Um, it is uh, for Ludwig von Mises, who was an Austrian um, economics professor that lived in uh, Austria prior to the uh, eve of World War II. And he was a Jewish man as well, and he fled the, um, yeah, he fled the, the you know the the, the Nazi in, invasion into into Europe uh, into neighboring countries, and he fled that and came to America to teach uh, economics. And he is highly regarded for his economic thought. He had one of the you know a large sheet is called Human Action. Here's me. Mm. Hold on one second. Peter's got to get in here. There we go. But yes, he, uh, yeah, so he is a, he's a very well-known economist, one of the um, major, uh, I guess, uh, spreaders of the school of, of thought called Austrian economics. Uh, and uh, yeah, he is who we named our caucus after. And um, I like that. I actually, you know, I, I found some of that on the website and he, Austrian economics is an interesting read because, well, for starters, it makes so much sense. Um, and the fact that we're rolling down a Keynesian economic hill right now because of who we have in power, um, you know, those two schools of thought are very different where Keynesian economics is all about the government giving you money so you can buy things, literally. Um and it's really important for it to be on this Keynesian thing for the current uh, modern monetary theory, which means print money, give it to everybody in hopes that the economy grows. And, you know, it, that's kind of stupid. And really, when you think about how money actually works or how wealth actually works, I should say. I'm a firm believer there's a difference between wealth and money. Well, also, I, I would say that uh, Keynesians and modern monetary theorists are significantly different i mean they they all modern monetary uh theory is definitely much more um forgiving and uh i guess i would say um cheerleading for government spending and such but keynesian's almost like like well you can do it up to a point but then you gotta eventually pay the piper modern monetary theory is like you never have to pay the piper it's like it's like a more extreme version of santa claus i guess yeah, and that is an important difference. You're absolutely right. I, you know, I didn't express it that well, but it just, you know, I was reading up on the Keynesians and modern monetary theory. There's so many things. I mean, this isn't new. Uh, Diocletian, an emperor in the uh, third century, 
tried to use the same kind of method and you know it helped Rome fall to pieces. So I guess we don't have we have a historical reference for where things go. Um you know, I was looking at the planks um on the webpage and I'm looking at the language on the webpage and I'm curious why why revolution? Why is revolution all over the page? Uh because while it, we, we don't advocate a violent revolution, we definitely, I think, advocate a revolution in thought. Um, I, I personally believe that uh, there's a lot of things wrong with um, our system, uh, how, it, how it operates, you know, the things it values, things it prioritizes. I, I definitely think that um, we call ourselves the decentralized revolution for a reason is that we want to completely change uh, the structure of power in our civilization. It shouldn't be uh, concentrated at the top like it is. It sh shouldn't be wielded against, you know, the populace at large. It, uh, you know, people, power should be returned to as low, a low level as possible. I mean, to the individual, I think would be most of our preferences. Uh, I, I would say that the Mises Caucus primarily comprises of mostly anarchist leaning or like agorist anarcho-capitalist leaning uh, members so i think a lot of that thought and uh gets translated into our 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 platform if i could add one thing i would just say that we are the children of the ron paul revolution and i guess that's why we're here you know well as as uh, as a guy living at the very tail end of the boomer age i'm like was born the last year of the boomers kind of thing. Um, you know, I'm very familiar with Ron Paul and I've watched him throughout his career. Um, and even before he became a libertarian, he always was always quite the hero for me, um, you know, because, well, he's smart and he's very focused on, you know, what is actually true. You know, looking at these platform, for instance, you have uh, Plank 10, which covers omissions. And the reason I wanted to cover that first, because there's really not much to talk about, except for the fact that our silence does not mean we condemn this stuff. Um, it's, it seems very Ninth Amendment to me. Um, and the fact that, you know, it's, it's we're saying that if we didn't talk about it, it doesn't mean we can't talk about it. It just doesn't mean we didn't get to it here. And it doesn't mean there isn't going to be a, a talk later, right? Is that kind of what the, you know, the omissions plank means? Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't consider it uh, to be not controversial. Cryptic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, not, it's, it's not too cryptic or controversial. What I find, you know, you, you talked about, you've talked about revolution and talk about, you know, things and I'm looking at the other next three platforms all have to do with the economy, property rights, economics, money. Um, I think we'll separate out the eighth plank just because yes, it's economics, but it's a little bit different. Um, so those three things uh, are all things that were described in the 1789 or 1787 and 1791 constitution and revisions. They're not, I don't, I wouldn't consider them revolutionary. So are you looking to restore us to a, to the older America where things were actually locally run versus what we have now which is an absolutely an abomination we can agree on that without question i mean can i take this one well yeah go for it i would say we advocate radical decentralization i mean we would settle for the bill of rights and the constitution but we think that individual rights like go like far beyond that 
Well, and, and, and agreed, you know, um, you know, that's one of the things that uh, people who don't study history don't realize that originally, um, you know, the Ninth Amendment is very important and it says that in, in, in the fact that it limits the United States government just to those numerated powers. Okay. Now they've gone far beyond that and that is wrong and that's not where we should be. Um, but the Ninth Amendment also lets us know that there is no limit to the number of rights given to the people. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, I think I just, I, I, and I think the problem is, is we're going to agree on everything. Uh, well, problem. I mean, I, I could see us agreeing on almost everything. My only concern is the whole concept of radical revolution, especially when you want peaceful revolution, because frankly, that's never been done. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I will say that how I kind of view the the process going forward, because revolution can be a loaded term, can mean a lot of things to different people. Um, how I just think is, I, I really do see it as like a revolution in how you think about your relationship with uh, your government and your society and your, your fellow citizens. And um, one of the things I really want to preach to not just people in our party, but other people in Oregon is, you know, we need, we need to figure out a way to like, to be able to move forward and not lose hope and not lose spirit and to uh, a, a way that doesn't lead to political nihilism and, and leads to people stopping the fight. Um, I really want to preach that, you know, like, Hey, if an election doesn't go your way, there's always agorism, which is uh, a type of anarchy that I think a, a lot of, libertarians can get behind which is where you just ignore the state you just you you move forward with your life you do what you were going to do anyway you you obey your own moral principles and if those are compatible with your neighbors then you'll you're fine you um you know it, it gives people a way to win when the system beats them it just, i think that's right i mean i think the mises has a very long-term strategy that maybe people don't quite understand. I agree. We're definitely, we have, uh, I think it's the low time preference or the, it's, it's the, the preference where we're, we're willing to wait, you know, to get something really good in the end. And we're, we're willing to deal with some pain now to, um, to win in the long run. Like I, I don't, I personally joined this, project with the assumption that I'll be old and gray by the time we actually wield any like significant political power. And I'm okay with that because I understand that we, that people have to start thinking in the long term if we're ever going to start making gains. I think the problem with the libertarian party for the longest time is that they want to keep chasing this, this goal of like someday we'll have our guy in the right spot and they'll just magically things will happen good, you know, for us, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get 5% one year, then we'll get 10%, then we'll get 15%. And the system is designed to dis, you know, to kind of destroy people's morale every four years to make sure that doesn't happen. And so I think our focus on local candidates, education, building uh, networks, networks of people okay. that, um, you know, largely agree on the same things and kind of support each other, turning the party into a cultural movement instead of, just a you know a static political party is i think a lot of what we're trying to do 
Oh, it's interesting because I, yeah, I was I was going to comment. Then you were talking about occult culture or revolution, which you came to in the end. Um, and you know, I don't disagree with that because what we see, even in my, I mean, I'm pushing sixty, and and in my time, in my short part of the time that I've been in this country, and I have lived elsewhere and traveled overseas. I've actually lived in Africa for a couple of years, so I mean, I have some extended extra cultural experience elsewhere. So I know what it's like living somewhere else. Um, you know, we do have that. We don't have the mentality where you, if you as you talked about in your um, discussion that you're planting a tree now that somebody else will sleep under the shade of. And, right. we, you know, we sort of have lost that in this country. It, you know, it used to be something that people thought about back in the quote day and i mean well before my time you know this what what my part of my thing is is i think we can agree so far everything i see in the planks i can fully agree with and i think we're supposed to have been like that it is just humankind because we're greedy little bastards um always for ourselves all the extra goodies not realizing the cost in the long run and i think we're going to find the cost here in this current situation because I was alive during the Carter and Reagan years when uh, the uh, income, the um, inflation was 12 and 15%. And they actually included things like gas and other goods in that calculation. We don't include that anymore. When we say it's eight and a half percent, that does not include gasoline and other things that we buy on a regular basis because, well, they decided to change the way they counted it back in the Obama administration. Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, uh, unemployment is calculated completely differently now than what it used to be. And I remember a Peter Schiff really cued me into that stuff uh, during the Great Recession. I was just like, how can our government just change how it measures things? And nobody like pipes up and says, hey, that might lead to us <laughs> that that might lead to us making you know a policy errors or um come to coming to the wrong conclusions if we're just going to keep on changing and goal seeking how we uh measure things and but it happens because people don't care they're fat and happy they're not they don't want to rock the boat and i think we've created a, a country of people that are fat and happy and i but I think the those days are rapidly coming to an end. And maybe... yeah, I mean, if people haven't seen like Peter Schiff was right, the the video of him just like predicting everything that was going to happen like 2008. It's like look at him uh, saying these things, and the people on CNBC, Fox Business, and whatever laughing at him, saying like this is never going to happen. Like Peter Schiff was right. Like he was right about all of this, and yeah, he's wrong about. Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, but there's a lot to learn from those aspects. Ab absolutely. You know, Peter Schiff, uh, like everyone has their, like the Ron Paul moment when like Ron Paul brought them in, but Peter Schiff was who brought me in. And then I got exposed to Ron Paul a little bit more via, you know, Tom Woods and then Scott Horton and then kind of down the line. But um, yeah, I and I was uh, you know recently trying to read up more about the dollar milkshake theory and trying to understand that because you know the, the there's some economists that are are saying you know like hey you know actually the dollar's got some more legs to it and this is the reason why I was like I just want to seek the truth I I want to know I I want to know as much of what about reality is truthful 
so I can I can view it as correctly as possible. Obviously, I'm always going to have my biases. You know, I personally value liberty more than I value safety, and some other people don't. You know, are willing to tolerate an, uh, a nanny state that you know gives them you know almost parental instruction how to live their life. I don't. I'd rather make my own mistakes. Uh, I find my own answers, but um, yeah. I, I, ultimately, though, I do want to have a kind of a <laughs> at least a close to realistic grasp of reality. Sure, and I think. Uh... Maybe this is a good transition to what uh, Gregor said earlier. I mean, he said, uh, looking at like, the Mises caucus blanks, like one through three, they're economic centric. So, like, why is the Mises caucus so economic centric? I guess that's a good question. Um, I think Ludwig von Mises said that if he could take his entire philosophy, which he's like the greatest, probably, ec- economist like that has ever lived, in my opinion condense it to one thing, he said, property. And it's because it really does kind of come down to economics. It's, all of our life is economics, and property is one thing. It is Do we defend property, or do we let people take property from us? And these are life or death, you know, decisions, like how we live our, uh, how we live our lives, you know, like uh, the we we can say words like the economy, but what we're talking about is people's lives, the energies they spend on things and what they get out of existence from those energies. Um, and if you misspend them, people die. <laughs> so it's one of the most important things to get right, uh, I personally believe. My button. Um, that was my fault, not the technology's fault. A... That, well, that is one of my big preachings, personally, is, you know, trying to acknowledge what actually truth is. And, you know, the fact that personal property is recognized throughout history as something that is super important. And any culture that has not recognized that falls to pieces. I use the Roman Empire, where they say, you know, where near the end, they had people living off the dole. They had all kinds of economics. Sounds shockingly familiar where we are at now. And they just could not handle it. Um, but yet, ancient um, cultures all had the same property. Was what kept you literally what kept you alive. Now, it's interesting that we don't value that anymore. But try to take somebody's cell phone away from them and find out how cranky they get. Now, that's not necess- something that's necessary to live. Having lived before the cell phone age, I understand that, yes, one can live without a cell phone in their hand, though personally, myself, I would still have a bit of trouble in this modern society without one. Um, But personal property is literally, you know, a life or death situation for the most part when you base it down to reality, because in the long run, it all boils down to how much food you can buy and how much space you can have. Sorry, I... Property. Sorry, Peter. Are you going to define that as different from like actual property? Like, what do you mean by personal property? That sounds like a term that most socialists would say, like, I own my toothbrush, but I don't own the means of production. Yeah. I don't think there's any different. Any property you own is your personal space, is your own personal thing. I don't. I didn't mean to sound like I was in in, in making any difference. Any kind of hard property that you own is personal property. 
It's 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 the it's your kingdom. That in particular space, whatever that looks like, your, is your kingdom. So like, it sounds like we're agreed upon on planks like one through three. Then, without question, and again, I refer back to you know the first ten amendments of the Constitution, where the individual right to own things, the individual right things that you're talking about, were first. You know what? So far, everything I've seen on the Mises Caucus is not new. You, what's revolutionary is getting back to it and how you how you plan on doing that, which I don't disagree with. Because the only revolution we have to have is a cultural one where people understand that they are individually responsible for their own actions, that they are personally responsible for their own property, and that they can't expect everybody else to take care of it. That their neighbor is actually their problem because if their neighbor fails, they fail. Well, I'm saying the government the... should that. I'm saying people should give what they want to or they can to their neighbors who are in need in order, until they got on their feet. Well, I, I think the the problem with uh, maybe some of the stigma that comes with being a libertarian is that for a long time, people are just be like, oh, you're just selfish. You're just you just want all these things for you uh, and you don't want to share. And I honestly think that libertarians are probably some of the more selfless people because we realize that your property is yours. It's not mine. I don't have a say over it, right. even though maybe yeah. I'd like to. Uh, I have to respect the things that you have and I can't just take them. That's not fair to you. Yeah. So I think yeah. a, a lot of the distortion that uh, a lot of the stigma that we have is actually, I think quite, quite the opposite trying to covet, you know, your neighbor's things. I think that's far more uh, and trying to, you know, pretend that there's a system that legitimizes the taking of your, your, the things that from your neighbor, I think is far more selfish than, you know, acknowledging that your neighbor has a right to own what they own. All right. And we're absolutely agreed on that. My personal challenge with the Libertarian Party, and I don't mean problem, but it is my personal challenge. And I'm going to drop this bomb when I know you have to leave. Um, so I'm sorry if you have me back to this for a discussion. That's fine. But um, one of the things, you know, you talked about the, um, I'm sorry, what phrase did you use for the version of anarchy where we just ignore the government? Agorism. Agorism. The uh, yeah, no, no, I, I'll look it up and I'll get a definition. But here, here has always been my challenge with the Libertarian Party is that so many people are anarchists, they don't want any government at all. And my world experience does not see where that makes sense. Um, having zero government is also a problem. I think so, Peter likes talking about this thing. Yeah, yeah but I say, like uh, I'm not going anywhere. Like, uh, Will, if you have to leave, like uh, you can keep the room open, right? I mean, you said oh, I actually like... have a seven o'clock as well, so that, okay. Know, I'm will. I was willing to, you know. Like, when is not it. having a government a problem? I mean, are we talking about the roads or the what are we talking about? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> you know, and, and 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 I understand where you're going because I mean, I'm all over private roads. I think they could be handled much better. Um, what really boils down to is. I think anarchism could work really well in a moral society. And we have yet to ever find a moral society anywhere on this planet. And I don't mean necessarily religious moral. I'm just talking about having enough agreed upon morals where we can get along. And everywhere where a government devolves, there is always somebody who takes power. And in the, in the end, 
you're going to have warlords. You're going to have, you know, you're, then you're back to the medieval days where you have a castle and you have to defend it. And that would be my view of the future if we went to anarchy. Um, I just think you that, can cross attribute any argument you just said to our current society. I mean, we're already living under that. Like, I, I just don't think anything would change, I guess. Like, you can describe to me how, like, maybe under an anarchist society, like, how could we provide, like, a hospital for somebody? But as far as, like, well, how can we provide, like, basic services, like, we're, we're not providing them currently. Like, there are police out in the streets just shooting dogs and killing people indiscriminately. We, we already live under, like, the dystopian nightmare you're describing. Oh, absolutely. Without question. And that's because we've gone beyond our constitution and gone to the point where we're essentially, literally, practically socialists, um, spending other people's money trying to survive. Yeah, I guess um, the, the, the point is that anarchy isn't utopia. And we're not under the illusion that it is. There's still going to be people that kill uh, for money. There's still going to be people who do terrible deeds to other humans. Um, but we think that a society that operates in a more an anarchist framework is more moral um leads to quicker resolutions to problems um and almost necessitates a populace that is more highly educated and has a closer and, and different societies obviously and, and the whole world isn't going to be anarchist there's going to be areas where anarchy doesn't thrive or people don't want that and I think anarchists would eventually have to accept that because we can't force that on people. That would be against our, you know, every, you know, the whole point. But um, I do think it is something to constantly strive for and, and walk towards because I think it's the, well, and I think it's the right thing to do. And striving forward, I don't disagree. I just, I mean, I have trouble imagining, and maybe that's going to be my slow education process, imagining a world in true anarchy after seeing some of the anarchist areas that are in this world that I have been in. Sure. Oh. Uh, I, I don't think, uh, but I don't think you can attribute to like 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 a chaotic situation to like anarchy. Uh, I, I definitely think it comes from having a, a culture that is somewhat cohesive where everyone values um, the benefits of anarchy and understands them. And then while anarchy does is very highly individualistic, it's kind of like a society built on individuals that all value individualism. So it's kind of almost like a, it, it becomes so anarchistic. It's almost collectivist because like everyone's kind of on the same page and kind of works like a decentralized network when there's a threat to the system, you know, anarchy rises up and, you know, puts it down so like it's a if i could just like jump in real quick sure. there sorry because now we're getting close to time um i think that brings us to like plank four decentralization mm -hmm. anarchy is not a destination it's a journey right like we understand that we're never going to have like true anarchy but like what the mises caucus believes in is the decentralization of power because we know that like when we have the power locus decentralized that we have more control over it i guess exactly you know so we're never gonna be at a place where we are in an anarchist society but the more local we can make our power structures the more control we have over them and i think that is the essence of the mises caucus and its description of anarchy 
Well, gentlemen, thank you very much for having me on. I'm, I think Peter ended it beautifully, so I'm not going to add anything. I just want to thank you for letting me come on board, and I've really appreciated this time. You're very welcome, Gregor. Thanks for joining us.